Psalm 145. You've been with us. You know that we have been going through the Bible and wrote 66. We've made it all the way through the Old Testament historical books, and now we've taken a pause. Taken a pause for a mini-series just to give us a break, and then we'll get right back to it because we have to... You have to get back on the road, right? Many of you know that I grew up in a family where we took vacations far away. Our family was far away and such, so we were used to being in the car for 8, 10, 12, 20, 23 hours. You know, you got to go and you got to stop and you got to go. So that's, you know, that's how we get through, get through. And we will get through the scriptures by God's grace. Uh, Right now we're on a pause. Psalm 100. 45, the Bible says this, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider that God is near to all who call. That God is near to all who call. Let's pray. Father, as we focus our attention this morning, may you give us a special awareness today of the importance of this moment. May we find a gravity in it. May we find energy to hear and a heart to obey. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Young people, I'll begin with you. It's not that I've been talking to your mom and dad, but I thought that maybe we could talk about this. If you could improve your manners at the table, what's one thing you could change? You say, well, maybe it would be closing my mouth when I eat, when I'm chewing. Or it's using my silverware right there beside my plate. Or it's not, helping my, it's not having my elbows on the table. Yeah, all those things are good things to, to change. Maybe even this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, older folks, if there is one thing that you could improve in your physical fitness... One, what one thing could you do, what one change could you make? Maybe you could go to bed earlier to get more rest. Or maybe you could drink more water. Or maybe you could not snack after 7 p.m. Maybe you could go on a walk. Those are all good things. Now, everyone, I want you to think with me for a moment. If you could improve your spiritual life, what is one thing you would change? If you could improve your spiritual life, what's one thing you could change? What is one thing that has just popped into your mind? Do you know what it is? Any ideas? That's not the audible answer I'm calling for. That's rhetorical. But have it fixed in your mind. Is there at least one thing that you know you could change? Asked another way, how could you get closer to God? You know that James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God, as if there's opportunity to draw near to God. And then there's the promise that he will draw near to you. So how do I draw near to God? Do you know how? Do you know how to get closer to God? I want you to hear what the psalmist said in Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. 
So it looks like to draw near to him, you must call on him. That's simple, but it's true. If you would draw near to God, you must call on God. And today, that's what I want us to focus on. I want us to focus on prayer. And I want to answer three simple questions on prayer, in particular, given our upcoming season of prayer as a church. So first, I want to answer the question, what is prayer? Second, why should we pray together as a church? Third, why have a special season of prayer as a church? I'm going to spend most of my time, as you see in the manuscript, spend most of my time on point one. And that is, what is prayer? What is prayer? I ask that question because some of you don't know. Because some of you are that young. Your feet can't even touch the floor and you don't know exactly what it is. So I'm talking to you today. And some of the rest of us need to be reminded So let me give you a composite definition that dates all the way back to the 600s. With the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God in the name of the Son of God, prayer is offering up our desires to God in faith for things agreeable to his will, with confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement for his mercies. Again, I said the definition comes from the 1600s. They were quite wordy, okay? But that's a good definition. We're going to go right through it. Prayer is offering up our desires to God. Prayer is pouring out your heart to God. Psalm 62 verse 8 says this, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. You know, there was a woman named Hannah who did just that. Hannah had a lot that was stewing in her heart, and she told God about it. You say, tell me about Hannah. She was brokenhearted because she was not able to have any children. And the other wife of her husband, you catch that? The other wife of her husband would always pester her about the fact that she wasn't able to have kids. So there was a lot of troubles on her mind. And she told her troubles to God. You see, prayer is about pouring out your heart to God. You realize that most people don't want to hear about all your troubles, about all your complaints. People don't want to be around people who are always telling all their woes and worries. True friends are willing to hear you out. But even true friends can get weary of that kind of thing. I want you to know today that God never gets weary when we tell him our worries and woes. He wants us to pour our hearts out to him. So David encourages us, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is our refuge. So when you think of prayer, think of offering up your desires, pouring out your heart. And when you do that, it must be done in faith. That's what Jesus said. Matthew 21, verse 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. If you have faith. What kind of faith is necessary for prayer? Well, number one, you need to believe that God hears when you call on him. 
Second, you need to believe that God will answer when you call on him. I mean, when you have a real emergency and dial 911, you think that someone is going to pick up and they are going to send help to you. That's what you believe. You have faith in that. Even so, do you believe that God hears? That he'll respond and answer you? Did God hear Daniel in the lion's den? Did God hear Jonah in the belly of the whale? Did God hear the Hebrew children who were in slavery in Egypt? You know, all those stories in the Bible are rich examples that are supposed to generate faith in us. That's how, the, that's how faith works. If you want more faith, you read God's word because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And what this shows us is that God indeed does hear and that he does indeed help. He does answer. So when we offer up the desires of our hearts to God, we must do so in faith. We pray from our heart. That means what we say in prayer must be sincere and it must be in faith in God. It means we, we pray believingly. Now, have you ever thought about what you can ask God for? I mean, we're, we're getting up to the Christmas season soon enough, and it seems when you write Santa, you can write anything on that list you want. Are you allowed to write anything that you want to God? Well, no, because what we ask for in prayer must be in accordance with God's will. 1 John 5.14 says, this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything in accordance with his will, he hears us. So when we pray, what we pray for must be agreeable to God. It has to be what God wants. You say, what does God want? It's really not a mystery. That really should be one of the easiest questions that we think about. What does God want? I've said it before many times. They all begin with S. God wants people to be saved. God wants his people to be sanctified. God wants his people to be spirit-led. That's the will of God, because that's exactly what the Bible tells us. God wants people to be saved from their sin by the grace of God. No questions about that. God wants his people to be more conformed to the image of the Son of God. And God wants his people to yield to the leading of the Spirit of God. That is God's will. That's what God wants. So kids... Remember, I was talking to you because some of you don't know what prayer is. We're talking really plain here today. Since God wants people to be saved, those friends you have at school or who are on the soccer team with you, some of them don't know God. And you ought to pray for them to get saved. You can pray when you get up or at the dinner table or during family devotions or when you go to bed. But you asking God that that person would get saved is something you should pray for. And it would be a good idea for you to pray to be bold to talk to them about God so they can learn about him. Because they don't know about him unless they hear about him. So there's something, kids, that you can pray for even this week. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we've covenanted with one another to pray for each other. We say that all the times when we have the Lord's Supper and we, we read through our covenant together. We have covenanted to pray for one another as God commands us. We agree, we all agree that 
There is more of Christ that needs to be formed in us, every one of us. We agree as a church body that we all need to be sanctified. We all agree, as the song says, we're standing in the need of prayer. And by being members here, we've all given permission to each other to do this, to walk up to each other and say this. It looks like you're standing in the need of prayer. How can I pray for you today? And you can do that right after the service if you like. Because we've, we've covenanted with each other to do that, to pray for each other. So hopefully we're going to be sharing some prayer requests today. And if someone says, no, I, I, I don't think I don't have anything that you can pray for me about. Well, if they don't have any request, if they don't feel a need for him, as the other song says, then your prayer is that God would bring them to their knees, that they would feel their need for God. You say, what do you mean that God would bring a person to his needs? <clears throat> well, let's recover some of the things that we've learned. Let's recover how God has brought the mighty to their knees in years gone by. Think of the great king Nebuchadnezzar. You remember how God drove him mad and made him a vegetarian for seven years? That's saying it lightly. Remember Jehoshaphat? God allowed a great army to march against Judah where he was the king at the time. Or remember King Manasseh. God raised up the army of the Assyrians to capture him with hooks and to bring him in chains to Babylonia. You see, God has a way of bringing the greatest of men very, very low. And as you think through those examples, you you remember it was King Jehoshaphat who went to his knees the fastest. He was the one who prayed, Lord, we are powerless. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Okay, he sensed his need for the Lord. He quickly sensed it. Manasseh and Nebuchadnezzar, it took them a bit longer, but they eventually did. They were eventually brought to their knees. But our question today is, do you feel your need for God? And ask it in the most practical way I can. How ready are you to share with someone how they can pray for you? Are you ready with a personal request to give to a brother or sister in the Lord now? I'll just say, imagine how different the Church of Christ would be if they shared their personal prayer lists more than they share social media posts. The church has to be people of prayer. And revival comes when God's people pray. And of course, when we pray, we need to be praying in accordance with God's will. We need to be praying what is agreeable to God. Because God wants people to be saved. He wants them to be sanctified. He wants them to be spirit-led. Now, thankfully, God does not grant selfish prayers. 
We know that from James in chapter 4, verse 3, where he says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Jesus is not going to grant anything that we ask for. Just like a parent does not grant his child everything and anything that he asks for. Just think with me for a moment. It's the season where kids walk around, say trick-or-treat, and get candy from their neighbors, right? So the kids come home with one, two, three, four, you know, pillowcases full of candy. And if a child asks his dad to eat candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a week, what's dad going to say? No. Why? Because he's a good dad. He's not going to give them that. Even so, our Heavenly Father is perfectly wise, and he will not give us everything we ask for. He always know, knows when a no or a yes is best. We can always trust him to give us what we need. So we have to, on our side of things, try to make our requests in alignment with his will. Our will needs to be aligned to his will. That's prayer. Prayer is asking It is asking for things agreeable to God's will. But there's more to prayer than asking for things from God. Prayer also includes admitting things to God. Admitting things to God. Prayer is confessing our sin to God. Psalm chapter 32. The psalmist David says this. I acknowledge my sin to you. and I do not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who's godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. In other words, a time when God would grant forgiveness. That's when the godly need to pray. They need to confess their sin. And people like David and Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah, these were great men of the faith who confessed their sin to God. We have what they said in prayer to God and what they confessed to God. They named their sin. They were specific about what they'd done. Confession and prayer is what separated the tax collector from the Pharisee. Remember those two? Remember the Pharisee who told God how much of a sinner that he wasn't? And the tax collector told God how much of a sinner he was? So which of those better describes you? When you talk to God, do you tell him more about what you're not or what you are? Are you honest with God? You know, every single week in the middle of our worship service, we confess our sin publicly as a church family to God. Just like today, we read a passage of scripture and we use that as a standard to show us our sin. And, and, and just so you know, if you had your eyes open during prayer, you would notice that I don't have my eyes closed during prayer because I'm scanning the passage to see what it said and see where it might apply that there's something that God calls me to do and I haven't done it. I let the text of scripture, what God has said, direct my mind in my confession of sin. And we do that week in, week out. Week in, week out. Why? Because we don't want to be Pharisees. Because we know we're like the tax collector. That's us. We don't want to be dishonest with God because he always knows better. 
And we do that here publicly so young people in particular, you know how to do it at home. So that you can open up your Bible, you can read through it, and you can go through it and see how you can confess sin to God on a daily basis. You see, prayer is more than asking God for things. It's admitting things to God. And as we read God's word, the Bible helps us in that. It helps us in confessing our sin. It helps us in admitting things to God. It also helps us in acknowledging the things that God has done. So we've seen that prayer is asking for things from God. It is admitting things to God, and it's acknowledging to God our thanks for who he is and what he's done. So prayer is thanking God for his mercies. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, we live in a society of worry and complaint and anxiety and griping. When God says, don't, don't be anxious, pray about everything and do it with thanksgiving. Colossians 4.2, continuing steadfastly in in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And thankfulness requires awareness. And we actually have holidays that are given to this whole idea of awareness. We have Thanksgiving. We have Mother's Day and Father's Day. Those times of the year that we sit back and think of all that we've received. You know, kids, clothes aren't free. And food doesn't cook itself. So it's a really good idea to take time and think about All those things that go into right now. Where did all of this come from? Why am I here? Someone helped you with that. And you can be thankful for a mom and dad who loves the Lord wants you to love the Lord too. Or it's provided for you to have the clothes you have today. Or the lunch you have cooking at home. All those things. That takes awareness. And it is a good thing to think about others and what they've done for you. Thanksgiving is something that we do daily at the dinner table, but it's something that needs to be a significant part of our personal and our public prayer. So, we should pray and be thankful for what God's done. And more than just being aware, we can use our Bible reading to help with that as well. Just as we use our Bible reading to see what we might need to confess for sin, We can use our Bible reading to see what we might need to thank God for. When we see something awesome and amazing about God or something that he's done for us, that can direct us in in our thanksgiving to him. So I encourage you, when you pray, have your eyes open and your Bible open. Put that together. To wrap up our first point, the long point today, prayer is offering up our desires to God in faith. For things agreeable to his will, with confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement for his mercies. That's what prayer is. Now let's move to the last two questions in closing. Why pray together as a church? Why pray together as a church? Well, prayer is one of the four things to which the early church was devoted. 
We had a whole sermon series on this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. You have a whole sermon series on it. I'm not going to rehash it. I'm just going to say the early church was devoted to prayer. So we should be as well. In the hierarchy of all the things a church is supposed to be doing, prayer needs to have a fixed position, and that must be our settled belief. We must be people who pray. Period. Now to the last question today. Why have a special season of prayer as a church? Why have a special season of prayer as a church? Well, special seasons of prayer are for times when the church senses their need for God's help. And we learn that from the book of Acts in particular. Because the church prayed when there were important decisions to be made. When the disciples needed a replacement for Judas, they prayed. When the church in Jerusalem selected the first deacons, they prayed. When the church at Antioch sent out their first missionaries, they prayed. When the church had important decisions to make, they prayed. And the church prayed in difficult times. So when the apostle Peter was in jail... Earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church, Acts chapter 12, verse 5. And when the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders about false teachers that were coming in and would disrupt the church, they prayed together, Acts chapter 20. When the church senses its need for God's help, they prayed. Do we need God's help as a church? We do. We do. We are standing in the need of prayer. We need to be more like Christ. We need to call other people to come to Christ. And to think broadly, the church, in Amer- the church of Christ in America is in rapid decline. Thousands of churches close every year. Hundreds and even thousands of pastors are leaving the ministry or not entering the ministry. I don't know how much longer, how many more years or a decade maybe there might be a church or what is known as a pastor. Why? Well, what did we read in 2 Timothy 4? Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. People forsake God because they love something else instead of God. Plain and simple. So, the church needs to pray. The church needs to pray. You say, well, that's kind of a straight sermon. It is. It would have been a lot easier if I had just asked about your table manners and said, try to keep your mouth closed when you chew. Or if we just talked about your fitness and said, "Uh, try to have a few more glasses of water a day. But what I talked about was perhaps one of the most important aspects of the Christian life. It's been said that praying is like breathing. And the church needs to breathe. The church needs to breathe. And I encourage you, this week, consider how you might breathe, spiritually seeking. Father, we ask that you will help us as your people to be those who talk to you. We know that our relationships go so badly when we don't talk to one another. When a spouse won't talk to another spouse, it just makes for a terrible relationship. Even so, Lord, if we won't talk to you, how can things be good between us? Help us to remember, though, this promise, 
that you are near to all who call. So Lord, help us to draw near to you and call upon you. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.